It's not a legalistic, um, this is what you've got to do to be, become acceptable before God. Um, his principle is sacrificial giving, joyous sacrificial giving and seeing him provide. So <clears throat> not saying this to scare anybody. I think we're going to be fine and we're going to keep going and things are going to be fine. It's just sometimes we need a little gentle fatherly nudge to move in the right direction. And so that's what this is about. So now, okay, if you're visiting, you can listen back in now. Um, just some quick announcements. Uh, if you're if you're visiting with us today, there's a card uh, that we'd love for you to fill out. We we don't want to stalk you, but we do want to be able to contact you and, and let you know what's going on at the church. If uh, if you didn't get one when you came in, they're on the tables in the back, and then the tithe box is right under the clock in the back. Um, you can just drop it in there, and we'll get your information. We'll contact you, let you know what we're doing uh, as a church. Um, and specifically for, for those that are here this week that are visiting, we have a dinner this Tuesday night um, called Find the Way. It's on our announcement sheet. Uh, the details are there, 6.30 here at the church. Let us know if you're planning on coming um, by tomorrow so that we can make sure that we have enough food for everybody. The dinner will be provided. And uh, we'll talk about vision. We'll talk about how you can serve, how you can plug in, different ways that you can get to know people in the community. Um, and then we would love to invite you to things like the circuit training. We're doing circuit training on Mondays for men and women, Thursdays for women only. It's as much about community building as, as, it, as it is exercise. And we also started training for the turkey trot. And so since I was running, I thought I, was, I would encourage everyone else to run. And so we're doing that as a church event. And today is really the first day I've not hurt when I got out of bed. So it was a good day. Um, but I've seen improvement and it's been, it's been good. So I would encourage you to come and run with us with, we'll just be, we'll, we'll definitely run Mondays. Where's Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, okay. Okay. Did everybody hear that? Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays we'll meet Monday, Wednesday, Thursday at five thirty here, Saturday at eight thirty in the morning. So, um, now just so you know, you don't have to be in great shape to do this. We run, we're building our way to, to running a 5k. So we've been running, I think like 50 seconds and walk for, I think that was the last time we did. Yeah. So we're building our way to it. And, um, okay. So if you're, if, are you going to, okay. So there will be people here that. We'll walk as well if you want to come and walk and get to know people. So, okay, now that that's all done, let's, uh, let's get to um, the Word. And, and before we do that, let's just pray um, and center our hearts, you know, just, just really get our focus on, on Him, uh, the one who saved us and, and the Creator who's, who's made us. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. Thank You for truth. I just pray that in this time, God, that You would speak that you'd simply use me as a tool, that you would uh, touch our hearts through the, through the work of your spirit, that you'd impress upon us your truth and, and, and your call on our lives. Thank you for this moment. I just pray that you would work in amazing ways in each of us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in John chapter 18 again this week. We actually are just about... We've been in John now for about two years. We're just about eight weeks from finishing this book. Um, for some of you, you may be amazed that we're actually going to get done. But we will finish this book in about eight weeks. We'll, we'll then go to Ruth, and then 
that'll bring us into the Christmas season, and then after that we will we will move into uh, Acts and 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 work our way through the Book of Acts. So that's just some of the things we're we're heading towards. Um, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there, John 18. But I, I want to bring to remembrance, I want to, to remind you, as we've started this focus on Jesus and this, and this few hours that we are looking at in his life. I mean, he is, he is at the very end, at the very culmination of this work that he had come to do on earth. Uh, and John is looking at it in detail. And so the next two chapters of his, of his gospel are really about this, this passion work that he came to do. And last week, as we started into this series, we're approaching it in this way. What does it say about God as he allows himself to be crucified? And what does it say about us? And so every week, that's a perspective we're going to take and we're going to look at in the scripture. Last week, what we really began to see was God's, God's work begin to unfold. You see, Jesus wasn't the victim of Judas. He wasn't the victim of the Jews and, and, their, and their plans to get rid of him. He went to the garden knowing full well all that would occur in that moment. He went to the garden with full knowledge that when he went there, he was going someplace that, that people knew where he would be and they were going to come and arrest him. He knew it. And so what we see is not, not Jesus as a victim or Jesus as some, some uh, just, just weak, uh, scared individual, but we see a bold and courageous Savior who is, who is humbly submitting himself obediently to a sovereign plan that had been put in place before our Creator ever said, let there be light. He knew that this would all occur. He, he had it in his mind and he knew what he was doing. And so as we gather this morning, I think it's extremely important that we remember this. I think it's extremely important that, that as we approach these passages in this way, that, that we take time to remember these things because it should affect us in how we live our lives. Think about this with me. We are coming out of a weekend in which we have remembered one of the greatest attacks on our nation. September 11, 2001, was a devastating hit to us as a nation. We, we, we were struck by it. I can remember standing at work, and, and I don't know where the TV came from because at work, I'm, I'm the boss, and, and I don't let them watch TV. But somewhere this little black and white portable television comes, comes out, and we're gathered around this little, I think it's like six inches wide, you know, and we're gathered around trying to see what's going on because we were so struck that this could be happening. We were, we were, we were stunned. I mean, we didn't get anything done that, that day. And in fact, that week, over and over and over, People were turning on the radio. I, I have never heard so much conservative talk radio being played in our hangar as I did that week. And preachers, Billy Graham, in fact, that was a preacher that, that, that spoke over the radio. And his message that week was projected all across our hangar because people were stunned. They were reeling. They didn't know how to act. And, and we've just come out of remembering that. We're, yesterday is the, the anniversary of that day. It's led to nine years of war in our country. Not in our country, but, but our country being at war. And in times of fear and, and wondering, are we going to be attacked again? Are they going to try and retaliate? What's going to happen? So we go over there and we fight a war. And for two years, for two years now, our, our economy has been, has been faltering. Something that most of us sitting in this room have never known. Well, what, what is it to be in need, really? 
You know, we're the, we're the richest of the rich in all the world. You may be sitting in here thinking today that you're poor, but you have more than most every other person in all of the world just by being born into this nation. You are blessed in ways that you can't even imagine. And for us to consider ourselves poor is an insult to so many people that live in our world. But our, our economy is failing and it's faltering. And see, as, as I talk about those things, I'm not trying to stir some sense of national pride. I'm not, I'm not trying to remind you to, to stand up and be a proud American. Although I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I served in the military for six years. I, I'm glad to be here. I, I, I'm glad to be a part of this, of this country. But you see, here's the truth. And what we see repeatedly through Scripture is that there is only one thing in all of the world that can bring fulfillment, provide hope, and bring true and lasting change. And that's not us standing up and voting the right way or us voicing our opinions about our political views. It's about seeing Jesus for who He is and what He has done. And that's what, that's what last week really began as, as a, as a focus on this fact that Jesus is God. Come to save us because we need a Savior. And the, and the view and the perspective is going to be, it's going to be shown over and over and over as we focus on His work of passion. As we look at this, this culminating event in history, I, I don't want you to hear me saying that, that this is the work that, that he had come to do and that's all that was going to be done. You see, the culmination really comes. The, the end of all things really comes and, the, and the, the end of his work really comes when all things are made new, when the dead are raised and, and those that believe are given their new bodies and they are living in his presence forever. That's the culmination. That's what we look forward to. But this moment, this moment in Scripture it's the hinge pin of all of history. Everything that existed before looked forward to this coming Messiah from the very fall of mankind in the garden. They were looking forward to Jesus Christ and the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. And ever since then, we've looked, we, we, we've looked back and we've remembered that God came. He put on flesh and He, and he dwelt among us. And he, and he demonstrated his, his power and his provision. He, he demonstrated his own identity. And he worked in amazing ways. And he, and he taught amazing truth. And he sacrificed himself so that we could have life. You see, it's imperative that we remember these things. Because we're not living, first and foremost, to prove America to be the greatest nation in, America, in, in the world. We're not living first and foremost to ensure that our economy is, is going to come back and, and that we can all continue on in our consumeristic ways and that we can have whatever we want. You see, our call first and foremost is to remember who Jesus is, what He's done, and to take that with us everywhere we go. We have been sent with this truth. We've been given this truth and sent with it. It should impact our daily lives. We should, we should be different, distinct, because we know the truth. It's imperative that we remember these things. It's imperative to remember that Jesus wasn't a victim, but He came to do this work intentionally. And it's imperative that we remember the, the lessons that we'll learn today. So let's pick up the story where we left off last week. It's going to be in John chapter 18, verse 13. 
before we, before we start reading, let me just give you the context and get everybody in, this, in the same place. I want you imagining and picturing yourself in the garden. I want you, I want you seeing it. In your mind's eye. I mean, I mean, here, here they are that Jesus has gone into this garden. He's gone into this, this olive grove where, where he knows that people are coming to get him. And, and as he's there, you know, the other gospel writers, they give us some insight into what happens in the garden. He goes off and he prays by himself. He's sweating drops of blood. He's feeling the weight of this work that he's come to do. And at some point he knows they're coming and he gets up and he walks back to his people and, and, and he talks to them a little bit and here comes this crowd. And I had always pictured it just to be a few people. But last week in, 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 the, in the original text we learned that it wasn't just a few people. It was uh, over 600 people were likely there to arrest this one man, Jesus. A, a, a Roman cohort, which is, is a band of soldiers, about 400 to 600 people big. Then there was temple guards and then there were the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. And then our, there was our buddy Judas. And so some estimates go as high as a thousand. I don't know if there was that many people there, but, but whether it was a thousand or six hundred, it doesn't matter. It was one dude. Jesus was one guy and they came out with swords and torches to arrest him. I mean, picture that in your mind. One guy with his eleven followers because one of them had left already. And here they are acting as if he's some fugitive from justice. And instead of, instead of running and cowering and hiding, we see him walk out and face them boldly and courageously and say, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And in that moment, everybody fell on their backs and they were knocked to the ground because he had power to do what he wanted to do. Never was he out of control. Never was he out of control. And Peter with misappropriated intentions, strikes out to protect his Lord. And Jesus says, no, Peter, that's not the way it's going to be. I've got to drink this cup that my Father's given me to drink. And he allows himself to be bound and arrested. We pick it up in verse 13. First they led him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it, it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, I just want you to understand this. Caiaphas, and, and this is referred to earlier in the book of John, Caiaphas was, was uh, the high priest, and, and he had been prophesying, and he didn't even realize it. One man must die for the people, not even realizing that God was using him, a broken and fallen dude, to speak truth. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it should be expedient that one man should die for the people. So Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door so that the other, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and officers had made charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I have said. They know what I said. 
When he said this to, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hands saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Now, there's a couple of different things going on in this passage. You know, John is, John is giving us this view that some of the other gospel writers didn't give us. He's giving this, this, this view into a part of the trial that Jesus underwent that, that the other writers didn't write about. And a lot of theologians have struggled with this. But I, I think their struggling is, is because we have to have answers for everything. We just feel like we have to have everything lined out and systemized and, and, and just have understanding about every last thing. And, and I'm not totally against that. I want to understand truth. I want us to know what went on. But I want us to see not the, not the difficulties of the passage. I want us to see Jesus enduring what he allowed himself to endure for us. Put on trial by the very people he came to, the very people he came to save, the very people that were his own, and they put him on trial. And I want us to see one of his very own, one of, one of his people, his own followers, denying him as if he didn't know him. You see, that's truly the, the depth and, and breadth of this passage. And let's look first at Peter, and to really get an understanding of what Peter's dealing with and going through, we're going to have to, to step back and, and see where it all started earlier in the evening in John chapter 13. You see, to really get an understanding of, of Peter's denial in, the, in this chapter, we really need to see what happens in John chapter 13. Jesus is teaching. He's, he's given them the Lord's Supper. They're in the upper room. He's washed their feet. He's taught truth. He's told them that one of their own is going to betray him. That was Judas. We've seen that happen last week. We saw that fulfilled. And then in the midst of it, he tells them he's going away and they can't follow. And Peter, boy, Peter, he's this tough guy. He, he, he's got it all together. He's a strong guy. Got, he's got big shoulders. He can carry any weight. You know, he's, he knows what he's capable of. And this is what he says in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. He says this. He says, uh, uh, let me step back and tell you what uh, Jesus says. Where, you, where I'm going, this is verse 33. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. And Simon Peter, being the guy that he is, he's, he's out there, he's leading, he's tough, he's, he's got it together. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And I want you to think about this. I want you to, I want you to imagine what Peter's reaction might have been. He is a self-sufficient, tough dude. He has given up his life of fishing. He's, he's walked away from, from everything he'd always known to follow Jesus. Haven't, can't you see what I've already done for you? 
Can't you see what I've already given up for you? I, I, I can't help but imagine that's what's in Peter's mind. Where, where have I already followed you to? My own people, they're going to hate you. You're, they don't love us anymore. They don't want us anymore. Well, what are you saying? Can you imagine the reaction of a guy who's got it all together being told, you're going to deny me? But see then, in John chapter 18, we see them have, having gone into the garden. Peter still probably reeling from this, from this insult to his integrity. Still probably dealing with this, this pride bubbling inside of him. I can't believe he'd say that to me. Remember who Peter was. Peter was the leader. He was the one, when, when Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 13... Uh, in, in Matthew 13, or 16, I'm sorry, verses 13 through 18, when Jesus had gone into Caesarea Philippi and said, who do, who do they say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? Peter says, or, or they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah. Peter's the one that gives this answer. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, oh man, Jesus, oh, he gave them this, this compliment. You see, Peter didn't walk away from that conversation the same. He had been called Simon. And Jesus gives him this new name. And he, and, he, and he says, hey, Peter, you didn't get this knowledge from just your own intelligence and from your own learning. It was revealed to you by the Father. Take note of that. It was revealed to you by the Father. And you will be called Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it. This is Peter. He's being told that he's going to deny his Savior. And here in this garden, still reeling, still thinking of all of these things. Look at who I am. Look at who I am and what I've done to this point. Look at the things that I've said. Look at the compliments that he's laid on me already. I'm not going to deny him. I'm going to stand up against these hundreds to defend him. See, he had his own plan. He had his own way to go. And Jesus is like, no, Peter. No, you're, you're still missing it. In your foolishness and in your emptiness. You're still missing it. This is not the way. Peter, this self, self-reliant guy. And we've got to give him something. We've got to give him something. Because when Jesus was arrested... And all of the other followers, all of his other followers, ten other people, actually not ten, nine other people, because John lets us know that there was one other, one, one other follower that followed Jesus. Peter, in, in the face of all of these hundreds of people, instead of running and hiding like the others did, he followed Christ. And he walked into the midst of this trial and he stood in the courtyard where, where in, in, in my mind's eye I envisioned them at one end of the courtyard standing around this fire while Jesus is at the other end being questioned for his theology and for his followers. You see, Peter wasn't totally afraid. It wasn't that he didn't have courage and that he wasn't, that he wasn't bold. But man, when it came right down to it, what did he do? He faltered. This guy that was so self-reliant, that had proclaimed his great faith and his willingness to follow Christ anywhere, was asked by a servant girl, aren't you one of his? No, no, I don't, I don't know him. 
and standing at the fire warming himself. Hey, aren't, aren't you one of his? No, no, I, I don't know him. And then challenged by someone who had seen him cut off an ear. Didn't I see you in the garden? And the other gospel writers let us know that at that point he started cussing. He was doing everything he could to prove that he had not followed Christ. This great leader. Suddenly a big denier. In Luke's gospel, we see and can read that on that third denial, as he's cussing and screaming that he didn't know Christ and hadn't followed him, that Jesus looked across the courtyard and laid eyes on him. And in that moment, they made contact. And a rooster crowed. And Peter knew what he had done. He knew. And in shame and in conviction, he runs weeping from the courtyard. He's broken. He's crushed. What have I done? I can't believe that I've done this. He's ashamed and he runs away. Peter needed this to happen. He needed his pride broken. Because everything that Peter had done to that point, everything that he had done as he followed Christ, was built in his own self-sufficiency and pride and his own self-worth. Look at who I am and what I have done. I have followed him this far and I will continue to follow him. You see, in that moment, Peter recognized without any doubt that he needed a savior because he was fallen and broken. Now Peter, at least Peter was on Jesus' side. I mean, I mean, really, as he's denying Jesus and, and, and saying, I didn't know him, at least he's not the one over trying to kill him, right? At least he's not the one that's calling him a heretic and putting him on, putting him on trial for his teachings. At least Peter knows the truth about Jesus. But Peter was still broken and fallen. And he saw it that day. We do have those that arrested Jesus. And they're in that courtyard. And they are not questioning him against some crime that he committed. They're not not questioning him in in, in an attempt to, to really demonstrate his guilt. They're asking him about his teaching. And about his following. You know why? Because as Jesus taught... And as people followed him, it threatened their way of life. It threatened them. Everything that Jesus taught was in opposition to the Jews. He took their, their scriptures, these, these, these scriptures that they had claimed and, and, and these scriptures that had been given to them, and he took them and he turned them on them. And he condemned them with them. And people followed them. And as early as as John the Baptist, and they saw people leaving John the Baptist and going over to Jesus, people were saying, the whole world is going after him. And they were threatened by Jesus. The whole world needs to go after him. But they were scared. They they didn't know. They They didn't see it. They had totally missed their Messiah. They had totally missed him. And they were trying to steer people from him. And they wanted people to believe that he was a heretic, that he was a blasphemer, that that he didn't deserve to be followed. The whole world needs to go after him. The whole world needs him. And here they are. What did you teach? 
Well, they'd heard Jesus' teachings. They tried to kill him because of their teachings. They'd heard him say that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones and they were going to kill him. They heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. They heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They heard him say that that the only way to know God, the Creator, was to know Him. They heard him say that He was God in flesh. See, they heard him say, they, they didn't need to ask him these things. They knew them. But once again, they're testing and trying Jesus. And when Jesus answered, hey, ask the people that were following me. Ask the people that knew me. They start beating him up. Because they knew. I mean, imagine. Imagine what it's like to to so trust in God and to so believe in God and to have His Scriptures and have this systematic way of living and this this rule that you can follow that that builds you up and, and, and proves you to be righteous and worthy of His love. Imagine having this life that proves you to be worthy of being a Christian. That proves you worthy of God saying, you're one of mine. Imagine having the honor of being called one of God's chosen people. And then someone coming along and saying, you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. You are empty and dead inside. I can imagine that these Pharisees... And this Jewish people didn't take that too well. They were offended. They were angered. And you know, if you didn't catch on, if you didn't get it, let me, let me help you see what's going on here. Because the cycle is being repeated today. The cycle continues to be repeated today. In our churches in Springfield, and I'm not a Christian hater, I'm not a church hater, I love the church. We are working to start a church that loves and exalts Jesus and worships Him with our life and depends on Him for our life. We want to see lives change worshiping Him. I am not bashing churches. I am am not hating Christians. I'm just saying something that I think is very obvious is that we have a people who recognize themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. And they are sold to their religion. And because they have this systematic way of living and this, and this, and this theology that they think somehow justifies them and, and these rules that they follow, you know, I get up and go to church every Sunday. I'm pretty holy. I serve in my community. God loves me for that. You know what? I give money to my church. And I give over 10%. Hmm. Boy, I'm earning his, I'm earning his love. And all the while, we step out into our world that we live in. And because of these things that we do in this systematic way of believing that we have, we have forgotten all about the words of our Savior who says, you need me, you depend on me, you're to follow me, you're to obey me. And we walk out into our world with our chests puffed up and looking at the world as if somehow they're they're less than us. And we walk out into the world as as if we can't touch them because they'll make us dirty. We can't reach out to them and love them because somehow it might rub off on us. And we want to remain pure. You see, the reality is is that the church has become the 21st century Pharisee. 
we have forgotten our need for a Savior. We've forgotten our dependence on our holy Creator to cleanse us and make us new, to change us. And we've got our law that we live by and we've got our circles that we run in. And we look at Jesus and we expect Him to bow to our expectations and expect Him to meet our demands instead of humbling ourselves before Him. You see, the thing that really concerns me is that, that we have all of this figured out and we're expecting Him to come back just like they were expecting Him to come. And some have been so foolish as to put it on calendars and, and spell it all out and, and have it all lined out. And my concern is, is that we will be so tied up in our own belief that when He returns, this people that calls themselves chosen, this people that calls themselves His church, is going to miss Him. You see, Jesus, He offended these people with their teaching. And the truth is, is sometimes we're too offended with His teaching. We also are offended by His teaching. Imagine. It's not fun to be called a sinner. But you are sinners. I am a sinner. It doesn't feel good to know that I need a Savior. But I need a Savior. You need a Savior. It, it, in Western society, in our culture today, it is impossible for us to come to this understanding that we can't do it on our own. You can't make it by yourself. We've been taught all of our lives you can be anything you want if you just put your mind to it. Scripture teaches us there's definitely one thing we can't be if He doesn't act first. We, we, we tell one another to, to look within and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and stick out your chest and be strong. And you don't have it in you. The Bible clearly shows us over and over. Look at Peter. We can't do it. That's offensive. It's hard to handle. It's, it, it hurts to hear it. Think about the songs that we sang this morning. I, Brent and I, don't, we don't set this stuff up. It's not like we plan it. But as I was sitting and singing those songs, even the second one, Cameron, bring up the, or, yeah, bring up the second song. The second one, that's hard truth. God is sovereign. Who can stay His hand? That's hard truth. There was, a, there was an army, Pharaoh's army. What did they do? They chased His people. And when they chased them into that ocean or into that sea, God let the waters fall back on them and they drowned. God did that. Not the God of the Old Testament and different than the God of the New Testament. God, your creator, did that. That's hard to handle. There was a king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he was proud. And he had it all figured out. And he expected people to worship him. Look at all that I have done. Look at what I've gathered. And God made him crazy and made him eat grass. Your God did that. That's tough truth. Oh, maybe one of the hardest ones is that tag, that, that bridge that says the world is trying to overthrow. Oh, we're not trying to overthrow God. We're not in competition with Him. But His Word says, he, it says we are. 
And he sits on his throne and laughs. And, and you know, honestly, when I used to when, when I sing that, I mean, it was hard. And I thought, where did he get that? And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's in the Psalms. He sits on his throne and laughs at the weak and feeble attempts of mankind to be their own God. That's offensive truth. It hurts to hear. But it's truth. It hurts to hear that we're sinful people. There's, there's, there's preachers today that won't even talk about it. There's some preachers today that won't even mention it. In fact, they would teach against it. Oh, he doesn't. He's not angry. He doesn't have wrath. It's not your sin that's a problem. You're, you're, you're a good person. You just need to learn to spend your money right. You need to be the best student you can. You need to be the best parent you can. You need to be the best husband or wife. You just do those things and he will love you. That's a lie from the devil. The offensive truth is we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that truth is offensive. And the church today is standing in many cases against that truth, acting just as the Pharisees did, putting our Lord, our Savior, on trial. Testing Him. Why would you teach this? I don't like it, so I'm not going to believe that. I'm just going to listen to this. Trying Him. Who, who would follow that stuff? Who, I, I tell you what, that's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the Lord that I want to serve. That's the Lord that we need to obey. Because that's the sovereign Lord who has the power to truly save you for all eternity. Any other God is a weak and feeble and falling God. You see, but what they did in that moment and what the church tends to do today is that in trying Him, they exalted him, themselves above Him and demanded that they, or, or that He bow to their expectations. That He submit to them. Jesus, who are you to tell us these things? Jesus, who are you to teach in this way? And, and you want to know the reality of why I've, I've talked about these two things in conjunction? Because they tie together. They tie together. You can't help but come to this place and recognize that First Peter was proud and he was self-sufficient. And he had his own path and he was going to walk that path. And he had to be shown he was fallen and weak and, need, and in need of a Savior. And the, and the Jews, the Pharisees, they too were proud people hanging on only to their beliefs, trusting in, in their law, trusting in their way. And when Jesus offended them, they thought the best thing they could do is get rid of him. You see, these people lived at the center of their own lives. They exalted themselves and they forgot about their God. They denied Christ and they put Him on trial. Here's an offensive truth. We do that every day. Every one of us do that every day. We try Him and deny him. And you know the reality is is that, that that process it began at the fall. It began in the garden of Eden. Adam and Eve as they're standing in the garden and they're deciding and listening to this serpent uh, about this fruit, oh this fruit it's good to eat. God, he just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to know the things that he knows. Oh. 
hmm, God may be keeping something from us. This looks good to eat. And it's going to provide knowledge. I bet he doesn't really mean that he's going to kill us. And they tried God. They put him on trial. And then they denied him. And they ate. And they were condemned. But, but eating fruit, it doesn't sound so bad. I mean, really, come on, it's just eating fruit. I mean, that's more like a timeout kind of thing, not a condemned to eternal death kind of thing. You know, that's, that's more like a swat on the wrist. You see, at the heart of it is the very fact that they denied God His authority. Oh, He doesn't know what He's talking about. We know better. He wouldn't really do this. We can get Him to be who we want Him to be. You see, they exalted themselves to a place of authority over God. They put Him on trial and they denied Him. And 2,000, or I'm sorry, about 4,000 years later, Jesus Christ is in a garden and he's arrested and he's brought to trial and he is denied in the exact same way. Maybe different words and different people in a different setting, but the exact same thing happened. And you know what? It's still happening today. Even amongst the very good people that showed up on a Sunday morning to sit and listen to some offensive truth. See, we're not perfect people. Every time we sin, every time we choose something other than God, we deny Him. Every time we hear His truth taught and we think, oh, that can't be. God wouldn't do that. That, that can't be the God I know. And His Word clearly says it. We put Him on trial. And we exalt ourselves over Him, expecting Him to submit to us. What does this say about God? Well, look at the responses. Look at how, how the different things played out. You see, the rest of the story with Peter is that Peter, he ran out ashamed and he was repentant. And he's like, I can't believe I did that. I know better. I know who Jesus is. And he ran out ashamed. And you know what Jesus did? He restored him. And Peter became a great leader. But these Jews... These Jews, they continued to, to, to walk their path and they ignored the truth. And they had Christ crucified. And because of that, they stand condemned. They would not repent. They would not turn. What do we know about God because of this? God is righteous and He is holy and He is just. And for us to stand and, and, and speak against Him or expect Him to obey us or submit to us in some way is absolutely foolish. We're fighting a losing battle. But on the other hand, for those of us that repent and trust Him and believe in Him, he is gracious and merciful and He loves us so deeply that He allowed His Son's death to count for our life. And that through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, He calls you and I righteous. And through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He cleanses us and He sanctifies us and He's creating us, creating in us this new creation. He's making us new. The old has gone, the new has come. And He's enabling you and empowering you to overcome the sin that so easily entangles and entices us. You see, that's what Jesus came for. That's what God is doing 
And, and in his holiness and righteousness and his, in his perfection, he is condemning those who are against him. But in his grace and his mercy and his love, he is restoring those who are repentant before him. Every time we wake up and we do something in opposition to him, whether I, I, I don't know the particular sins that you deal with, it may be a sin of omission or a sin of commission. One of the most prevalent ones that we deal with in our society today, for, especially for guys, is pornography. You look at that, it's a sin. You've chosen some other God. You've chosen yourself as God. Ah, he'll forgive me. He'll do, he'll do the right thing. I can look at this and be okay this time. And it's eating you alive. Maybe it's, maybe it's that, you, that you don't consider Others, maybe it's that, that you're not living on the mission that he sent his people on. Maybe, it, maybe it's something as, as, as um, simple as just that you couldn't care less about anybody else but yourself. Maybe it's a sin of, 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 of omission. Maybe you're not connected in the family of God the way you should be. Maybe you are not serving the community the way you should be. Maybe, maybe you're not doing something that he's gifted you to do and called you to do. Maybe you have, have never sat down and read the Bible for yourself. Maybe you, you're, you're not spending time walking with Him and worshiping Him in your daily life. Well, whatever it is, in every case, it comes back to this truth that we are exalting ourselves above Him and expecting Him to submit to us. We try Him and we deny Him. And the truth is that today, as you hear these words, the reason we spoke about them is because He's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to trust Him, to follow Him, to obey Him, to, to live this life as He's called you to live it, to, to be the person He's created you to be, to trust Him for your salvation, for that eternal moment when the new world will come, and trust Him for your daily life every step of the way. You see, repentance is not simply just about going out and doing things differently. It's about changing your mind about who God is. And we are not Him. And we need to submit under His authority. And He's called us to follow Him. To recognize Him as God. And to trust Him and obey Him. Where are you? Where are you at today? Do you recognize, like Peter did, how you have tried and denied your Savior? I hope you do. Because beyond that, in that recognition that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, beyond that, there is grace and there is mercy. And it is good. Are you like the Jew? who's trying God and who will not change his mind and fighting against him, offended by his truth and angry because of his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection. He calls you to repentance. Where are you? Every head bowed and every eye closed. These are tough words. And every time I see a, a room full of visitors, I'm just going to be honest. I always want to pull back. 
I don't know why that is. I, I, I guess I'm, a, I'm scared I'm going to run you off. But I know this to be true. What's been said today is hard to deal with, but it is his truth. And so I don't know how he might be working in your life. I don't know the things that you're dealing with. But we're going to come to this time now, and it's, it's going to be a time that we need to respond, and you need to focus on how he is working. And you need to respond to him rightly. So I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to worship. We're going to sing. And we're going to honor the Lord that saved us. And in that time, you'll have time to pray. You'll have time to, to confess. However you need to respond, we'll just call you to do it. Father, we do thank you for your words. We thank you that, that in spite of who we are, oftentimes, you still demonstrate grace. You still demonstrate mercy. You continue to love us, and you are restoring us. We thank you for that truth. I pray that you will help us in our weak faith as we try to stand and do things our own way, as, as we think that our way might be better than yours. I, I pray that you will help us in, in our pride, that you will break us, that we will become dependent on you, that we will trust you and you alone. Father, I pray that, that those deep idols, those, those, those things that we think Might, might, might be more worthy than you, that you would just crush them. And that we would be confronted with who you are, what you've done, and how you're working. And that we would fall before you. Father, I pray that as we respond, that you'll show us what to do. That in this moment, as we, as we stand to sing and, and worship, that we'll remember it's not because of what we've figured out. Not because of not because we've got some cool song to sing, but because we recognize you to be our creator and our savior. And we love you for it. So all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we come to this time in our service every week.